as a way of introduction, I'm sure most of you, if not all of you, have heard of GPS, Global Positioning System. It has become really a part of our everyday lives more and more. It can tell you where you're at, and then in relation to help you get to where you're going. And most of your cars now have GPS in them. You just plug in where you want to go, and you hit click, and it will tell you how to get there. It works through a process known as triangulation. There are approximately about 24 Department of Defense satellites circling the Earth. I say approximately because it's really hard to nail that number down. I guess they don't want to give the Pacific number out. And GPS picks up signals from three or four of those satellites. It calculates the time for the information to reach them. And based on information, GPS can tell you exactly where you're at within 50 feet. And now it's even gotten better than that. It can tell you exactly where you are. Now it can provide information. Information that a map back just about 20 years ago cannot tell. Remember the old maps? You unfold, and you ever had a problem folding them back? You ever had a fight in the front seat of the car saying, hey, fold this thing up, it won't fold. The map would tell you about different roads, it would tell you if it's an interstate divided highway, but the map was only as good as the information it had when they printed it. You could not find anything in real time, so it couldn't tell you if road construction was going on. It could tell you if that road was under construction, but it may be finished by now. But GPS gives you that real-time information. In fact, most of them, I have a thing called Waze. And he tells me when cops are reported for speeding traps, not that I speed. Don't look at me like them judgmental eyes. You do too. It tells you about rural construction. And it will calculate the best way to go for time and even fuel. For example, when I have to go to work, sometimes they'll tell me to take 287 all the way in because there's a race going on at the raceway. And trust me, you don't want to go near 114 when there's a race going on. You'll be forever stuck in traffic. Now, it can also work in tandem with RFID, which is Radio Frequency Identification Tag. And that could be as simple as the barcode that is used in grocery stores when they ring up the price. They can track stuff that way. In fact, military puts little components inside their equipment, and GPS can track that so they can track resources they need for the troops. And the application goes on and on. It's being involved even as I speak and becoming more and more predominant in our lives. Now, you're looking at me like, what does I have to do with anything we're gathered here about? Well, I'll tell you this. Now, remember, every illustration will break down at some point. But God has placed his own GPS, if you will, inside us as believers. And this is known as a mystery in our text. And the mystery is Christ in you. And it's called the hope of glory. Verse 27, God will to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, one thing about GPS, God doesn't need GPS to find you. This is not like some great universal hide-and-seeker. He knows where you're at. This is not for his benefit. It's for our benefit, for our blessings, because unlike GPS, God provides critical information that only he, provi- only he can see, only he knows about. He can tell you about the dangers ahead. The hazards, the obstacles, 
But then he also provides the information you need to overcome those obstacles and dangers. He knows how to get you to your destination. Our ultimate destination is what? Heaven. And he's in the business of turning us more and more into the image of his son. So he provides information that we need, gives us information, and provides that so we can best navigate our lives. Now look at our text starting in verse 24. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh I do my share on behalf of his body, which is the church, in filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Of this church I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God bestowed on me for your benefit, so that I might fully carry out the preaching of the word of God, that is, the mystery which has been hidden from the past ages and generations, but has now been manifested to his saints, to whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom, so that we may present every man complete in Christ. For this purpose also I labor, striving according to his power, which mildly works within me. Paul tells him, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. Now, if you go back to Acts chapter 9, tells us about Paul's conversion. His name was Saul at that time, and he had quite the reputation. He was going around of people following the way. That's what it was called. Antioch was the first place people were called Christians. But he was going around stomping this out because he saw them as uh, hindering uh, the work of God. He thought he was doing the work of God by stopping them out. Now, God spoke to Ananias and said, you're going to meet this guy, Saul. He's been converted. I've met with him. And I imagine Ananias was just a little bit afraid because he had heard about this guy named Saul. But my point being, in verse 16, he told Ananias that Paul is going to learn about many things he must suffer. In fact, when Paul wrote this letter to the Colossians, he was under house arrest for the Gentile churches. Paul suffered because of the specific ministry God called him to. He planted churches among Gentiles, pagan territory. He preached a message of inclusion. Gentiles were included in the work of God. This meant that Christ could be, and indeed was, resident among the Gentiles. That offended many Jews because they did not want the blessings of the Messianic kingdom to go to the Gentiles. And also caused a reaction among the Gentiles who saw a threat to their religious practices and economic livelihood. So Paul suffered in two ways. He suffered the attacks of those people he was trying to reach with the gospel. And he also suffered attacks from people who were trying to stop the spread of the gospel. I want to make one point here. To be a Christian, you're going to suffer. There's no way around that. You're going to suffer in some form or fashion. Remember what Christ told his disciples. Remember, if the world hates me, they first, I mean, hates me or hates you, they first hated me. If they persecute you, remember they first persecuted me. What we have to remember in light of everything we see going on, all right, 
What the world is pushing goes dynamically opposed to what the Bible teaches in a fundamental way. It's a reason the world is having problems because they're pushing one agenda. They're bypassing the biblical teachings. That's what we have to realize. And when we truly follow Christ, it's going to cause problems. And here's one thing I like to, to say about that. They're pushing the narrative that if I disagree with you, therefore I must hate you. No. I am to love the sinner. But I cannot step back from what the Bible teaches us to do. But they wrap their they are uh, they're identified with their behavior so much now that to, to say they're wrong is the tech, well, you're not really a person. Just because I disagree with somebody doesn't necessarily mean I want something bad to happen to them. Just because I don't agree with their behavior or practice doesn't mean that I that I hate them or they're my enemy. No, I pray for them. I love them. That's what I'm supposed to do. And by the way, even our enemies, that people who persecute us, what did Jesus tell us? Pray for enemies. Bless those who persecute you. Remember who the real enemy is. He says, in my flesh I do my share on behalf of his body, which is the church. Now Paul suffered in his body, and there was a real struggle. He suffered for the gospel and for the church. However, listen very carefully, he did not suffer redemptively. Only Jesus Christ can make that sacrifice. He's the one who died once and for all for sins of mankind that we have forgiven of our sins. Because what follows gets people really mixed up. Because the next line, prepositional phrase, and filling up what is lacking in or of Christ's afflictions. So when you first look at that sentence, as it was said in Sunday school this morning, you have to be careful. Go back and look in context. Because some people look at this and go, ha, Christians must suffer to accomplish their own atonement. Wait a second. The work of Christ is sufficient alone, once and for all. So we, we don't suffer for our own atonement. We don't suffer for our sins. That's not what this is saying. Some people suggest he was reflecting on his identification with Christ. But Paul always distinguishes himself from Christ and the work of Christ. Paul always refers to himself as a servant rather than equal. Another thing I want to point out, as you look at that last part and filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions, that word in the Greek can be literally translated tribulations. Now, afflictions, the New American Standard uses that, the NIV and the New King James. But the word tribulations is never used for Christ's redemptive work. We can't get sidetracked by that phrase of Christ's afflictions. Some people get it turned around and think, oh, they're talking about the cross. No, they're not. Because what does it say his body is? It's the church. Therefore, those afflictions are the afflictions put upon the church. Suffering with Christ has always been a prerequisite to being glorified with him. Romans chapter 8, verse 16 tells us, The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ. What is an heir? Someone inherits it. My mom passed away. My dad passed away. I inherit. I'm an heir of what they have. They pass it on to me. So what has Christ inherited? Everything. We are joint heirs with Christ. 
That sounds pretty good right there, but there's a conditional clause right after it. If indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. We ha- there's going to be suffering involved in carrying out our faith. And once again, I have to make this point. When we are truly sold out to Christ, a true disciple of Christ, there's going to be tribulations that come our way. There's no way around it. Christ told us, in this world you will have tribulations, you will have sufferings, but he tells us, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And Paul, using the word lack, tells us that Paul possibly thought of a fixed number of tribulations. Now let's go back in context of what Paul learned as a young Jewish person. The Jews expected the Messiah's coming to be preceded by tribulations. And the tribulations had a fixed time limit. You see that in Mark chapter 13, verses 19 and 20. And the kingdom will be only entered in through tribulations. So there's a definite measure of time of tribulations. Now you look in Revelation, you always hear about the seven-year tribulations. There's a limited time. How do you, by the way, how do you view time? Some people say time is circular. History repeats itself. Well, I can see where you, what you mean by that. Fashion circles around. I mean, I saw two boys at the homecoming game with mullets. What's next? Parachute pants? God, I hope not. But it does circle around. What I would tell you is that patterns of behavior have a time of repeating themselves. We like to think of ourselves sometimes as 21st century Americans that we are superior. We know more intellectually than, say, the ancients did. But we still struggle with the same basic things they did. Greed, lust, envy is still there. And if you look at the Old Testament as an example, what happens? Now I'm paraphrasing. In the Old Testament, you see the people of God, they're with God, they're doing the right thing, and then all of a sudden, uh-oh, something happens, they're tempted, they fall into sin, they just keep going and keep going, and God's telling them, repent, repent. Finally, they hit rock bottom. Sometimes God's judgment comes in and does what he needs to do. Then they get right with God. They have a revival, if you will. And they come right back up. Now they're with God again. Everything's fine. And that cycle repeats itself time and time and time again in the Old Testament. So when you read the Old Testament, you need to read it with that context in mind. When God back in Genesis 12 tells Abraham, I'm going to bless the nations through you. And you read some of the stories of the Old Testament. It's like, how is God going to keep his word now? You may have some dysfunction in your family, but there's a bunch of dysfunctional families in the Old Testament. But God still uses people to carry out His will. See, a true Christian understanding is time is linear. You have creation. All right. Remember, God transcends time. He's not limited by time or constrained by time. You have creation. Then you have the cross event, which is at the center of it all, And then you have a point in time when Christ returns. So everything that is happening, everything that God's doing is pushing, pulling God in history to that specific point in time that only God the Father knows when He's going to send His His Son back. All those other patterns that we see are really patterns of our own doing that we keep circling around, even modern day. I mean, I've done that. I've had sin in my life and I haven't really dealt with it like I should and I 
I get down, I hit rock bottom, God, please forgive me, and I get back with God, and then something else happens, and it goes, it goes that vicious circle. And if you're honest with yourself, you may be experiencing the same thing. So time is linear. It's going in one direction. And with that thought in mind, that's why Paul could rejoice. He had the idea there's a set time of tribulation. There's only so much that's going to happen. And the more I suffer, Paul would think, that means that Christ is coming back very soon. Because it's a set time this is going to happen. Now can you see why he would say, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. He saw that as I'm suffering the afflictions for the body, his church. And I know there's only so much tribulation that's going to happen a set amount of time. Therefore, I rejoice knowing that his coming is very soon. That's what he's talking about. And as a church, we're going to suffer affliction. There are going to be hard times. And here in America, I think we're heading towards a time that being a Christian is not going to be uh, someone calling you a Bible thumper or a holy world, whatever they use. It may cost us more than this, that. It may cost us our job. It may cost us our relationships. But as that ratchets up, we have to stand firm on our faith. And we have to make the decision here and now. Don't wait till that situation arises. Make that decision now that you will stand firm. He says, of this church I was made, literally became a minister. And that word minister is the dokinos. It speaks to a servant role rather than one of authority and leadership. And he was appointed that according to the stewardship from God bestowed on me. That can be translated commission. So Paul was selected and commissioned by God for their benefit. I wasn't appointed by a man. I didn't decide to wake up and do this myself. I was walking my way to Damascus and all of a sudden God showed up. Could you imagine having an experience like that? You already have. If you're a Christian, think about your salvation experience. When for the first time you realized, I've broken God's law. I'm under His condemnation and His wrath and His judgment. But then you heard the Gospel and you said, oh, I need Christ. And when you gave your life to Christ, that whole weight just kind of lifted off your shoulders. You're like, oh, I have peace. And speaking of peace, am I concerned about what's happening in our country? You bet I am. And I'm praying. And I'm concerned. But the peace that I have through it is not because of what I'm doing. It's a gift of God given to me because I'm His child. Tell me, Tim, okay, be concerned, but don't lose sight of what's really going on. This is not your home. Your home is with me. This is your temporary home. Continue the mission for which I selected you to be a pastor. I commissioned you to go preach my word. Remember, there's power in my word, Tim, and don't give up. And that's the encouragement I want to give you guys today. You have been selected. God has reached out with His, with His word to you. You've heard the gospel and you've received it. You embraced it. God hasn't brought us this far to leave us alone now. He said that He did that so that I might fully carry out the preaching of the Word of God. Really, to carry us out to completion. See, the Word of God is 
fulfilled not simply when it's preached, rather when it's proclaimed dynamically and effectively in the power of the Spirit. That's why that every time before I teach or preach, I have to spend time in prayer. Without the Spirit of God, I can preach till I'm blue in the face. Ain't nothing going to happen. I can't change your heart. I can't change your mind. There's only one being that can do that, and that's God. You can't legislate morality. Yes, we should have laws against such things, but the law will not change someone's heart. Only God can do that. He says he's proclaiming the preaching of the Word of God, this mystery which has been hidden but now has been manifested. The truth in the Old Testament This explanation awaited another day, and that day of understanding came with the death and resurrection of Christ. This mystery has been revealed to the saints. God's decisive action in Christ in the here and now. A dramatic turn of events, previously hidden, now revealed. The disclosure interpretation has been disclosed by God Himself. All that stuff they read about in the Old Testament now makes sense in light of Christ. He says back in the Old Testament in the prophet Isaiah, There is a time coming when you won't have to tell somebody about the law of God. It'll be written on their hearts. And he's pointing to the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Hebrews 1 puts it this way. God, after you spoke long ago to the fathers and in the prophets, in many portions and in many ways. You see that in the Old Testament. God would speak through prophets. He would do certain things. It was like a... Excuse the the word here, but it's progressive. Little by little, he revealed his will as they went along. But Hebrews tells us, in these last days, he has spoken to us in his son. It's like that show that probably you've seen. um, Who wants to be a millionaire? And they ask a question. They say, is that your final answer? They say, yes. Jesus is God's final answer. If you want to know what God's about, look at Jesus. Read the Gospels. Look how he talks to people, how he acts about people. If you want to know what makes the heart of God beat, look at Christ. And he says, God will to make known which is the riches of this glory of this mystery. This mystery is characterized by glory and riches. Denotes the work of God in Christ. These point to immense greatness of this mystery. Emphasizes and stresses that God Himself is at work in this mystery. Among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. The incorporation of Jew and non-Jew in the body of Christ. Jews and Gentiles both have equal footing as members of Christ's body. Christ has been preached to them. They receive Him as Lord. Christ is not just among them, He's literally in them. The presence of God is no longer in just the Holy of Holies. It's literally in them. And that is the mystery. That's the whole thrust of this passage. Paul's telling us, I'm suffering for your sake. I'm suffering because of this mystery that God wants you to know about. Christ in you, which is the hope of glory. See, God, dearly beloved, is not somewhere up here. As a believer in Christ, God is in here. You come into this place, and I appreciate the respect. You know, you don't want to, you're in God's house, don't run. I, mean, I understand that, and I, and I appreciate the respect. But God's presence is not in this building just because it's a church building. You are the building. The Holy Spirit resides in you. 
He talks to you. He guides you. He directs you. He knows what's going to happen. God sees your life from beginning to end in one instant. We don't know what's going to happen in the next 10 minutes, but God does. We don't know what's going to happen with this election, what's going to happen with our country, but God does. You know what God's telling me? Be concerned, Tim. Vote like you should, but don't lose your faith in me. Remember, I'm complete control. Don't lose sight of the mission. This is nothing compared to some of our brothers and sisters, what's going around the world now, their persecution. Look, if the disciples would have given up. Those early, early Christians are under Emperor Nero in the Roman Empire. He would take them and then he'd post them on a pole every so few feet. And when it got night, you know what they did to them? They would throw gas or flame of liquid and light them on fire, alive, and light the pathway. And people would just walk in the pathway having a good old time. That happened. Just think if they gave up. Said, I can't do this no more. But if you look back throughout Christian history, there's been brave men and women. And I tell you, it's not because of them that they got that courage. It's because the Holy Spirit gave them what they needed in that moment. How many of you know someone who needs to come to Christ that you've been praying for? And right now, God may be telling you, I want you to go. But God, I don't know how to reach. I don't know what to say. You're exactly right. You don't know what to say. Pray and God will guide you and give you the words in that moment that you need. When we wake up and we go about our day, you think people just come in your path by accident? People, God is directing divine appointments. We never know. You ever been walking in a store and you're just having one of those days you feel like, man, I'm the only one. I have one of those one of those prophet things. I'm the only one who cares about God, you know, going around. And then someone will reach out to me and talk to him about God. And I find he finds out or she finds out I'm a believer and she's a believer too. What happens? We end up encouraging one another. That's a divine appointment. God had that in mind because he knew what kind of day I was having, so he put another believer in my path that would encourage me. That's when they might come in together as the church to encourage one another. Life's hard. Life's ugly, is it not? It's hard. But what gets us through? It's our peace that we get from God as a gift. Our faith that gets us through. And our relying on each other. Praying for one another. Lifting each other up. Gathering around. That gets us through. The hope of glory. Christ is their hope of receiving and participating in glory. Because of what his, what he did in his death and resurrection, the Gentiles could expect to share in glory. The only hope of glory is in Christ. Gentiles like Jews must rely on Christ for their salvation. He says, we proclaim him, admonishing every man, teaching every man. That word to proclaim, is to make known in public, like the old town choir back and way back when, take the scroll out, Hear ye, hear ye, saith the king. That's what it means to proclaim in public. 
Christ is at the center of this mystery. He is the one proclaimed. So Christ is the sum and substance of Paul's message. Admonishing has a connotation of confronting with the intent of changing one's attitude and actions. The task of calling to mind a correct course of action, encouraging people to get on with what they know to do. Teaching compliments admonishing. The orderly presentation of Christian truth for the believers so they know how to grow in their walk. Why does he do all that? So that we may present every man complete in Christ. That is the goal of every Christ-centered instruction, preaching, and teaching. Complete denotes that which is whole, perfect, and intact. Describes a heart which has been completely given to God. Those who keep God's law, strives to walk in all his ways, fully grown in Christ. And of course, Paul has the end times in view here. Now, he was aware of their progress, of their faith and love. And he told them so in the beginning of the book. But he's reminding them they must not be satisfied with anything less than full Christian maturity. And that starts with ourselves. Before we can look at anywhere else, we have to start with ourselves. Am I growing? Am I maturing in my faith? And you have to ask yourself, are you being a hindrance? Now, we think of being a hindrance just to another person, but you can hinder yourself. So we have to ask ourselves that question this morning. Am I being helpful? Am I being a hindrance to others and myself? For this purpose, he says, also I labor, striving according to his power that mildly works in me. Striving could be translated to fight, engaged in a contest, can denote a physical conflict in which weapons are used. And immediately when I read that, I thought about Ephesians chapter 6. Verse 12 and following. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the power, against the world forces of darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness and the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God. When you get out of bed in the morning, take on the full armor of God. Make sure before you go out and do anything, you have that whole armor on. The helmet, the breastplates, the belt, the shoes, everything. Because you will come under attack. See, Satan doesn't mind us when we meet together and we kind of do our thing and don't really do much. But when we start invading on his territory and pulling people out of darkness into God's marvelous light, he's going to start attacking And right now, a lot of what's happening in our country is because the church has remained silent. Why are we so scared of? Why don't we stand up and speak out? If we really believe what we say we believe, I don't want to rush out and be a martyr any more than anybody else. But at some point, I have to draw the line in the sand and say, I stand here and I move no further than Martin Luther did back in the 16th century. But we need to stand up. 
And he says, according to his power, this strength, this courage, this boldness that Paul had, he would tell us it didn't come from him. He didn't read some self-improvement book, how to be courageous in perilous situations. He says, according to his power that comes from above, that mightily works in me. By the way, the word that's translated mightily works in the Greek is deutomai. Get this, that's where we get our English word dynamite from. Think about that for a second. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ this morning, you have God living in you, the Spirit of the living God. He came to live within you the moment you gave your life to Christ. So you have that Holy Spirit. Think about creation. Tells us in the book of Genesis, the Holy Spirit of God was hovering, if you will, over the waters of the deep. That same Spirit that helped form the great mountains in the sky is the same that resides in you. Remember what Jesus said? If you had a faith of a mustard seed, you could tell that mountain to move and it would move. Could it be, dearly beloved, that our problem is we just don't have enough faith? Maybe we're just thinking, well, you know, I don't want to cause any problems. Philippians chapter 4, verse 13 says, I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. God had placed His own GPS in Paul. He was never alone, he was never lost, and never separated. It was Christ in him that gave him the courage, the strength, and the wisdom, and equipped him to accomplish the task what God has called him to. And that's the same for you, to you today. Whatever God's calling you to do, witnessing to somebody, calling someone, visiting someone, maybe starting ministry here at a church, maybe joining this church, God is going to equip you for what you need to carry that out. Now, he's not going to give it all to you up front. He wants to see if we're serious that we truly have faith in him, that we take him at his word and say, God, I don't know how this is going to play out, I feel so inadequate, but I trust you, God. You call me this, and you're going to sustain me through it. So here I go. Help me, oh God. How many times I pray that on a Sunday morning when I get up? God, these people actually think I know what I'm doing. But that reliance on him to give me what I need, and he'll do the same thing for you. It is Christ in you that is the hope of glory. By the way, that's the only hope. Nothing in this world can compare to what God can do in you and through you if you allow Him to work mightily in your life. History is full of such people who in the world's eyes, as I said last week, the world look at them, what could they do? But because they trusted God, lives were changed. And that's only the people we know about. How many unsung heroes we don't know about? How about the people who stood up to Nazi Germany, the the resistant movements? How about the people in Cuba who stood up to Castro? All these people that have literally put everything on the line. Some of them paid with their own life. We don't know about them. I mean, tons and tons of people. I stand here today because of such people. Standing on the shoulders of giants who have blazed the trail before me. If Christ is in you, are we completely sold out to Him? Are we striving, struggling to accomplish our mission? 
that we will not settle for anything less than full maturity in Christ, and we won't settle for anything less but going out and making disciples. And nothing else can even come close to what God offers you through Christ because Christ in you is the hope of glory. Some great promises in this text for us, especially in the context in which we find ourselves living. In the midst of all this chaos, turmoil, hatred, God has called us to be faithful. There's power in the Word of God. There's power in the Gospel. Because the Gospel can accomplish what nothing else can do. It's only through that power that can see lives changed. Perhaps, as has been suggested back in March when all this hit, perhaps God's allowing this just to see who truly believes in Him and who doesn't. How many people are displaying church rather than being the church? I mean, think about it for a moment. Now, I like good sports like anybody else. But you can make the case that the NFL became the Roman Coliseum of the United States of America. The NFL got to the point they think they can do no wrong. Think about it. We have been stripped away from everything that became God's in American society. God has really taken them away. What are we going to do? Are we going to hang on to our faith or are we going to leave? It really comes back, and I'm going to end with this, back to Job. I've said this about two weeks ago. That discussion that Satan has with God, and God says, have you considered my servant Job? And Satan makes this claim. The only reason Job worships you and glorifies you is because you've blessed him with so much. You take that away, he'll curse you. How about us? We hear about all the healings and all the great things God has done. He still does that, by the way. I'm not, I'm not saying He doesn't. But here's the real thrust of the matter. Will I still praise Him when He decides not to do that? When He decides not to answer my prayer in which I think He needs to? And that's a question we all must ask ourselves. What is God calling you to? Have you given your life to Christ? If you have, are you listening to Him? You shouldn't be status quo Christian. You should always be growing and learning. Are you doing that? Perhaps He's calling you to join us here. To carry out his work here at Forestburg, Monte County, the state and our nation. This is going to sound strange to a lot of people, but I'm going to say this one last thing. We're going to pray. When you look at everything that's taken place this year, and where we're at now, I can take the path of being really gloomy and pessimistic. I'm not saying I should uh, cast all my concern aside. I'm not saying that. But I can also look at it going, hey, you guys, you're wondering about security, about your safety, 
about all these things? Let me tell you someone who can actually answer all those questions. His name is Jesus Christ. Unlike our politicians, he will never let you down. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. My point being, what a wonderful opportunity God has opened up for us to speak truth, to shine his light in a cold, dark world. People are looking for it. People join cults looking for meaning in community. We have the answer. We have the answer. His name is Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your word. Uh, Father, we thank you for the gift of your Son. Uh, Father, I pray that all of us will remain faithful to you. No matter what happens in the next five minutes, tomorrow, next week, we will stand true on the promise. That when the thunderstorms of life come and the waves toss us, we'll hold on to that anchor, that rock, which is your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And Father, I lift up those who are in, here in person, those joining the inter, by internet, dear God, that whatever they're dealing with, whatever struggles they're having, dear God, I pray that they will come to you in this moment Lay those burdens down. And Father, you invite us in. You invite us in to have fellowship with you, to talk with you. Dear God, I pray that you knock down every obstacle, break every chain, knock down every wall. Father, you alone have the power to change lives, you alone have the power to save lives. You're the answer that all men and women, boys and girls are looking for. Father, we pray that we be a faithful body to carry out that mission which you put us forth on, and that is to make disciples of all people. We thank you for continuing to move among us here this morning. Have your way, O oh God. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.